Welcome to Books and Beyond with your host, Alison. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. No my haere mai kia and welcome to Books and Beyond. This is your host Alison and I'm joined in the studio today by the author Lil O'Brien. Kia ora Lil. Kia ora, thanks for having me. Oh look, thanks so much for being here Lil. Now you've recently released um, your memoir that's called Not That I'd Kiss a Girl, a Kiwi girl's tale of coming out and coming of age and it's published by Alan and Unwin. Well look, firstly congratulations Thank Lil. You. It's a beautiful looking book. It is, yeah, it's quite striking. It stands out on the shelf I think. Yeah, I think it really does. And look, I loved the book. I cried, I laughed, I cheered, I whatever the opposite of cheering is. <laughs> I did that. So all the I had all the feels. Oh. Um and it's you know, it's such an emotionally honest memoir, Lil, and I, I want to thank you for that. Did you find when you were writing it that that you were having to kind of ride some waves there of emotions? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think writing, uh, looking into past memories is always difficult um, because even if, even if they're all happy memories, because you really, if you're trying to write honestly about it, you have to um, kind of hold yourself accountable for what actually happened and ask, is this actually the truth of, of what happened or am I colouring it? Because, you know, maybe I wanted to wish that I'd reacted a different way or behaved a different way. Um, so I think by its nature, it's a, it's a difficult um, genre to write. Um, I think uh, A.M. Holmes called it um, like picking at a scab every day and saying, look, today it bled this much. Um, so, yeah, and obviously because of the content, um, you know, my coming out story wasn't easy. It involved mm. my parents um, rejecting my sexuality and asking me to kind of cutting me out of their lives. Um, you know, it was difficult to go back to those times. And so I really had to um, I dealt with that by just on days when I wasn't ready to write about those parts. I didn't write about those parts and I just wrote, a, there's a lot of fun parts in there as well. Yeah. Um, but you know, it did stop me at times. I stopped writing for months at a time because I was so fearful of, um, it actually getting to the end of finishing the book and, mm. and you know, I, I never really believed it would be published. You, you don't know how, if what you're writing is any good. Um, and, you could just be writing a very sad um, diary. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, and so I was quite terrified about it being out in the world and, and because it would mean almost like a second coming out to them, it would be going against them again because they, you know, they, they certainly wouldn't have been supportive of publishing this story. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, it's tough, isn't it? Mm. Really, really tough, but um, such an important story. Mm. You talked about um, in the in the process of coming out, which I must say is, um, well, my comment about that is, you never stop coming out, do you? So, no, no. But um, how friends would say things like, we still love you, and um, oh, it doesn't worry me at all, and um, and that how this sort of minimised stuff or, or made you feel dismissed and, mm. and somewhat ignored, um, and it's almost like we love you despite mm. XYZ, or even though you are XYZ. Yeah. Is this, do you think this is a, a Kiwi thing that we do? 
I think it's I think it was um, partly a Kiwi thing, you know, like oh no big deal, mate. Like yeah. you know, we do. That's how we're we're trying to so show support by saying oh that's no big deal. Like oh she'll be right. Yeah, um, oh, it's all good. But I think it was also very much a reflection of the times. Um, I was probably like the first. Um, queer person that a lot of my friends at Otago University in 2002 mm-hmm. or 2003, three, four, um, had, had known, uh, you know, had like a, a close friend or a friend. And so I think there was a bit of, um, not knowing what to say, um, and, and mostly wanting to say the right thing. Yeah. But as you say, it's kind of that, um, uh, we love you despite this instead of because of Pretty this cool. and because we're happy of, you know, you found, you figured out who you are and that's a celebration. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Gosh, it's, yeah. So I, I guess it was a, a process for them as well. Um, yeah. And having been through this, this process, um, which, as they say, never really ends. But um, how do you think, um, we, if, if we've got a, a family member or a friend um, who come out to us, mm. and maybe particularly a young person, um, how do you think um, a good way of, of supporting them would be? What, um, mm. I think... I think people do get quite worried about saying the wrong thing. And mm. I think um, it's not always about exactly how you string the words together. It's, I think uh, it's a good way to start if you see it as a celebration and um, an honour that they are coming out to you. Um, for me, it means that they have trusted you enough to tell them a really important thing about themselves. And it's also, um, I think it should be something that you celebrate because it means, you know, your child or, who, or whoever they are is, um, you know, they have, they've put a big p- p- um, puzzle piece together mm. and they've figured out who they are and that's really exciting. So I think it's not necessarily the words you say, although I think like, you know, saying um, that's amazing, we love you, and we're really happy for you is a, is a great start. And uh, I, I also, and ask questions. I think you know, I think you have to be um, responsive to how to how much they want to talk about it, the young mm. person. But I think when you say, "Oh, that's that's fine," and then you ignore the topic or you don't, you know, talk about it, then it's not really just like coming out doesn't happen once. I think your support of your you know, of the queer person in your life has to be um, consistent and ongoing and you have to, you know, recognise their identity and be aware of, be aware of it, be interested, you know? Yeah, because when you say that about asking questions, because I guess um, when, if you get a reaction like, oh, that's fine, um, that Mm. can really shut down the the whole conversation. Yeah, because I think people, it's a little bit like (laughs) being racist, like people know don't be racist. Um, and so if you're saying, if you're like, well, I can't be homophobic, so I need to say the right thing, oh, that's great. But then if your actions don't follow it up or, you know, right. you, then like you have, it's people um, are reading through the lines, like people know um, yeah. what, what what the meaning is behind the words sometimes. Yeah. But I also think it's important to think about whether you have like a queer um, child or you are a hundred percent sure that they're straight, um, which you know you sh- you could never know really. Mm. So, but is to start just create a family environment that is open, you know, that includes talking about people with different identities of all kinds of identities and talking about them in a positive way and being, you know, trying to use gender neutral pronouns mm. and not assuming. I think assuming heterosexuality can be really damaging because if a person like are starting to have feelings or maybe already know that they are, are queer, they are hyper-vigilant 
to the kind of language and the attitudes that are already there floating around. Yeah, and that sort of heteronormativity that mm. is, is everywhere, isn't exactly. it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that's really interesting. And um, so, because your journey, and I, you know, I guess the the book shows us, is that um, it's really gone from shame and fear to to living life out loud Mm. um and um you've given presentations to rainbow youth haven't you to young queer kids um it i wanted to make the comment that it must be so amazing um for the young people to have someone like you to look up to (laughs) that's very nice it was um i did that when i was in my mid-20s with rainbow youth and that's what really sparked me a guy because I would go on and tell my coming out story for like five minutes and mm. and it was just never enough for me. Mm. It was actually, you know, it was so healing and cathartic for me, um, not just to be able to talk about those things, but also to see their reactions, mm. their, their kind of shock or how intrigued they were, um, you know, and I felt like it was going to do some good. So, yeah, it was um, it, it was as much, as much, it was very healing and rewarding for me, but I felt like it was he- going to be rewarding for young people as well. Yeah. Oh, look, I'm sure um, those sort of presentations would save lives. Yeah. And it's just a... Well, well, we'll never know. You know, you can't mm. count how many yeah. <laughs> you've saved. But um, I'm absolutely positive of it. Yeah. Thank you. And I suppose um, even though they were like five-minute presentations, I'm, I can just imagine that the kids would have so many questions. And they'd yeah. It's, um, I mean, the presentation that I did was at the end of Rainbow Youth do, do these really amazing um, talks in, in high schools mm. about they've got a whole like very sophisticated, accessible program all about gender and sexuality. So they would come in and do their good stuff and then we would kind of have a ragtag bunch of people, um, volunteers, um, tell their story at the end. And I think the overall, the f- for, for young people, just to be spoken to honestly and mm. with vulnerability, having an adult share something intimate and being honest about it and vulnerable is, um, it, I think it really means a lot to young people when you break down the barriers between people of different ages. Yeah, yeah, and not sort of treating them like, yeah. well, you know nothing, you've, you're yeah. only... 15 or you know whatever yeah, not yeah. being condescending <clears throat> you know talking about some more risque things and <clears throat> telling them it's okay to talk about those things yeah encouraging it. yeah oh that's that's fantastic yeah um and which i think in the book <clears throat> you use the the term other otherness or i'm not sure w- whether i put that term in in my head when i was reading <laughs> it but um but how damaging um it mm. is to be othered um yeah and um oh and this is what oh i totally relate to this part of it when um and the irony of it that you were criticized um when you're at uni for not being by some groups for not being gay enough <laughs> like you can't win sometimes can you yeah i mean we have a lot of discrimination and prejudice within the lgbt yeah. plus community that's for sure um but uh, I think just that feeling of otherness that is, is we all feel it in some way, no matter what our identity is. It's just, and it's quite in- insipid. It's just like, it's just there. Sometimes you feel it. It's really hard to pinpoint it. I guess it's a bit like a, a microaggression. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, it's, it's not good. Yeah. And that otherness that you get within the othered group. So, mm. And I guess any marginalised group um feels or has this i mean Mm. i know people in the disability community that are criticized for not being 
disabled enough mm. and um, yes. and um, yeah, or the, I've got family stories of that I could tell about other people in um, minority groups that mm. that get criticised for being too white or too yeah you know something yeah i think it's some, a sad thing isn't it yeah i think sometimes you know when you've experienced pain and we've all experienced pain particularly marginalized groups um you know you put that pain onto other people mm. um, by judging them yeah yeah and it takes some um, a lot of courage it must have taken a lot of courage for you to sort of stand up to the people that criticized you and to just still being you um, yeah i mean i used to rock up to the to the queer night at university in 2004 wearing a, a like a pencil skirt and a, a strappy top and high heels and you know long long blonde hair and dangly earrings and I did stand up like a, a sore thumb and at first that was quite a shock to me to be confronted I there's a story in the an anecdote in the book yes. about being confronted by the bouncer you do know what's going on yeah down there. that's it's, right it's a gay thing <laughs> um and then going down and telling that story to my new lesbian friends that I was in a soccer team with and them saying, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, look at you, you look what, like so straight. Um, mm. And that was really confronting because it was so fresh for me, my identity. But yeah. then when I got over the shock, I was like, well, F you, you know, like yeah. I'm, an, I'm enjoying looking different and, you know, that's my, my privilege. So I think it's about self-confidence, of course. Yeah, yeah. And you might have been a bit ahead of your time with that mm. too. Yeah. Um, and um, other stories from your university days my library friends and I we we so related to that hilarious and yet it just made us cringe and feel so sad the anecdote about um being in the library at um Otago and trying to borrow lesbian books um and the f this made me so sad the fear that you had that the staff might judge you mm. um and that, oh, it just, yeah, it really touched us. Um, <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, a lot of people have identified with that kind of skulking around the library shelves, not wanting to appear too interested in the queer books. Yeah. Um, oh, I, 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 still, I still feel that when I go to, you know, the women's bookshop and I stand in front of the, the LGBT yeah. section, I'm like kind of looking over my shoulder who's looking at me yeah um but yeah so i think that was something that people do identify with like and it's not not just that um anxiety around being busted um by by standing in front of the shelves but a, des a desperate need to try and find representation that was hard to find yes absolutely yeah so there were two parts to that really weren't mm. there i mean there's the one part that everyone will relate to that you sort of cover your lesbian book with a fishing mm. magazine or you know hunting yeah. or something yeah but then that as uh, the other point of it which is also terribly sad about trying to find mm. representation of our, ourselves there and um because you found that um so many of the books or there weren't even that many but they're either too academic or so outdated mm. and so they weren't really much use to you practically yeah well I think what I, I don't know exactly what I was looking for I don't I was coming out at the time so maybe I was actually looking for practical help like how to be a lesbian mm, or how to, yeah. how to have sex with another woman <laughs> but I, I don't know if, if what we're looking for so much as practical help is um, to see ourselves reflected in a story and to, to identify with something and that just wasn't there for me it was yeah battling through academic texts or all the things that I did like was that there was there was occasionally um uh a book of kind of coming out stories mm. um but they were always too short for me and 
they weren't informative enough. So, you know, oh, I went out and one day I saw this woman and she was amazing and we ended up kissing behind, you know, the building. And, and then I realised, it's like, no, I need granular detail. Mm. Um, you know, how did you realise? Did you know straight away? Like, what did that mean? Like, how long did it take that to figure out? Did you go back the other way? Were you 100%? Like, I, want, yeah, like, I was always looking for a really in-depth super readable story that was like one person's story of how they got to being like confident and open their identity and not because I was looking for the one way to do it but because I wanted to, I think when you see um, representation and you, you see okay well here's how I could do it and here's how I'm different you know we just need more representation yeah. because we we can't help but compare ourselves to others and, and find ourselves through others yes and because I'm just thinking when you look at the fiction or even the non-fiction section of a library it's all main um oh i just hit my microphone sorry <laughs> um too enthusiastic uh, yeah um it's all mainstream isn't it mm. and you see every variety of romance or yeah. drama or you know domestic fiction yeah i mean we, we have like lots of we have a whole lesbic genre now yes um we've got lots of exciting stuff but even even now i just still couldn't find that story that was that was a, a real life story and there aren't also any kiwi stories i think no that that's right mm. yeah and i know i mean i'm older than you but when i was looking for this sort of material so much of it was so depressing yes. you know it would be like the well of loneliness or something yes. that was decades and decades old but mm. That might have been all there was. Yeah, I mean, if we look at The Price of Salt, which became the movie Carol, and that was considered the first ever happy ending in a lesbian novel, and that was the 60s, I think, when it was published. And, and which, you know, we could have a whole discussion about why that came about and the Hayes Code and everything. Um, But yeah, we, and, but even now in this day and age, we're still, in our representation on TV and movies, we are still being killed off. Yes. at a much higher rate than heterosexual characters and often to further the plot of a, of a cis white male character. Um, yes. You know, there's a trope called bury your gaze. So, yes, um, and you see that even in Shortland Street, don't you? That they, <laughs> they always kill off the lesbian characters. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, Shortland Street has, like, been quite good in some ways, though. Yes. I, they, I just remember being astonished the first time that... It was Maya and Jane. Maya and Jane, and they yes. had a wee kiss in, outside the house, and I was like, what is this? There were two beautiful women, Shorten Street at 7pm. Yes. Um, so I think Shorten Street has done quite well in some ways, and they do try very hard, but that was the problem, is that a lot of these, um, you know, people, showrunners that, that aren't in the community, and they don't know what, you know, the represent representation problems we face they don't they're not quite aware that that it's not just killing off a character that it's actually part of a larger problem so it's about um you know educating yourself there's an ignorance there which is becoming more known now yeah yeah yeah. oh interesting hey and um speaking of tv shows i just loved the the story that you told about when you obtained the box set of the l word yeah um and that was the original l word of course um because at the time um those those dvds were like gold weren't yes. they because you i don't think you could get them here at first could you no or you couldn't easily. when i was getting trying to di- i was trying to download it off dial-up internet in oh, 2004 yes. um <laughs> i talk about it in the yeah. book and you know tying up the phone line all my flatmates like who is using the f- internet again because you had to pull a long 
phone cord down the hall <laughs> and, you know, with um, LimeWire or um, Napster. Yes. About that time when we first could even get hold of that. And uh, it was so precious. I think it took me like three weeks to get 30 seconds and oh. you didn't even see any... Might have seen one of them in the swimming pool or something. Yeah, didn't you? yeah, yeah. I think. Well, Bet and Tina, but, the, 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 yeah. but that first sight of it was just two women in their bathroom in their home that they obviously lived in together, being domestic. That yes. was revolutionary. That I was thinking that too. The domestic settings mm. um, of Bet and Tina, and even though they were obviously very wealthy, so mm. some some of it you had to suspend your reality yeah. a bit, but. Um, but still, there was that everyday life, and people had kids, or you'd go to the hairdressers, or go to yeah. the skate park, and yeah, yeah. I think uh, I call it revolution in the mundane. Oh um, yes, and it was it was so exciting because I think at the time we had um, you know things like Sharon Stone and Basic Instinct, the the bisexual predator or the murderer or you know the, a lot of male male gaze, yes, um, problematic representation, and so this was just the opposite, and it was. Um, Fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Oh no, I totally agree with that. And um, the the street cred that you had, if you if you had the box set. Yes. All I, of a sudden, you had lots of friends. Yes. You? Um, just you know, for everyone listening, Alison told me a very funny story before we came in the studio that her neighbours, she came home from America with the box set, and her neighbours. Um, who were queer women broke into her house to get the second disc while Alison was away. That's how desperate they were to keep watching. Yeah. And it was, we were rabid about we, it. Yes. You know, it was it was like unbelievable that, yeah. that something like this had been made. Yes, mm. which you don't really see see now, do you? Because no. there's more options. Yeah, yes. it, it's a good thing. There's more, more so options. So many more options. Somehow we still seem to have a lot of gaps, but we're... It's a it's a treasure trove in comparison now. Yeah, yeah, and um, this sort of brings me onto the internet, really, because it's been um, an absolute lifeline for yes. anyone with an identity or interest outside the mainstream, mm. isn't it? Um, and um, because what really touched me reading the book, um, you were going through such painful times, and it was just before that era where everyone had the internet in their pocket. Mm. Yeah. And it's a, a sad, t- sort of a pivotal time in our history, but mm. I feel sad for you that you were just on the cusp of the, you know, you were still in dial-up. You were still <laughs> in dial-up, still had yeah. to walk to the library to get onto the internet. We didn't have internet yeah. in our homes until, I think in third year, which was 2004, was the first time we had internet in our homes. And I talk about in the book telling some stories about trying to email the university queer group in the main thoroughfare of the library and yeah. being terrified that someone was going to see me um, even, you know, typing the word, the yes. words I think I might be you know, bisexual or mm. whatever. Um, so it was, but, it, you know, it's made for some, some good content for the book, <laughs> I will say, some funny moments. I guess it does, yeah. And um, because also back then libraries didn't have the self-checkout machines either. Yes. So now you, you, there's a lot more safety yes. or perceived safety and um, you can just take things out or, or you can download an e-book from the library. Yeah, so, yes. Same with um, getting, you know, videos, VHS or DVDs from the video store. Yes, you don't have to yeah. show your face. Or, yeah. You, yeah, You don't want to hide hide it in a pile of action movies. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, which is sad and, and funny, yeah. too, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, you quote um, Brene Brown quite a bit in in the book, and she's someone that um, I just love her her writings mm. and um, her sort of stuff. I know it's helped 
certainly it's helped a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and she talks a lot about shame, doesn't she? Yes. And vulnerability and, and empathy. Mm. And um, it re- reinforced to, to me that um, one of her theories is about that um, shame can't survive if things are spoken about. Yeah. Yeah, like I think, you know, my story is one from you know, and I think a lot of people's stories are from from feeling shame. Shame, mm. shame is shame is connected to something that who we are. Um, and she talks about it, um, uh, the comparison of shame to guilt. So guilt, guilt being yes. we've done something, something we've done, but shame is is something about who we are. And yes. um, and then how humiliation I think was humiliation. You don't feel you deserve it, but shame you do feel you mm. deserve it. Mm. Um, so I think when we talk about shame, and it's I really identified a lot with it, and I think a lot of people feel shame. It's yeah, you know, it's secret keeping, um, and it's yeah. Um, even if you are showing yourself um, self compassion, and um, you're thinking that you're coming to terms with who you are, like being being gay or, or whatever. Um, the way Brene Brown kind of her hypothesis is really it's not until we can share this part of ourselves or these things that make us feel ashamed and bring it to the light that we can um, you know get rid of it by 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 giving other people the chance to show us empathy right um, and that empathy that yeah. comes in isn't and it and just yeah. understanding okay this isn't as bad as I might have thought mm. um, but it's not something that I think I you know I still experience it sometimes mm. um, is, is you know is openly gay and you know, proud as hell as I am, there's still sometimes moments where you feel, you know, othered or, yeah. and you you do, you are aware of your difference and it's not that you are ashamed of being gay, but you just feel the sense. Yes, that mm. innate sort of, yes, it goes so deep, doesn't yeah, it? Like there's yeah, a, there's, a, there's a difference in you. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I guess um, the Brene Brown stuff, um, that probably... Um, showed itself when you were talking to the the kids via Rainbow Youth, wasn't mm. it? And you talked about make showing your vulnerabilities. Yeah. And how then that probably allowed the, the kids to feel empathy for you and Yeah. I think I like Brene Brown got pretty famous in for her TED talk I think in two thousand twelve, yes, wasn't that's it? Right. Which, the power of vulnerability. Yes. Um so yeah, it it is about um, vulnerability, like radical vulnerability, you might say, mm. is is um, is something that I try and practice. Just yeah. I like being open with people, being honest, and I think it can be very um, disarming to be to be vulnerable, um, and and it and lets people relax and see that they can be vulnerable in return. Yeah, so that's that real authenticity, isn't yeah. it? Yes. Yeah. Mm. Oh no, that's it's fascinating. It makes me want to read more of, yeah. of Brene's stuff. Actually, yeah. Um, you also um, you talk about um, how that telling your story it had. Um, I liked this phrase, the analgesic mm. effect, um, and um, I guess this just follows on from telling your, your story as a means or method of dealing with shame. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think I talk about that at the time because I, uh, after all that happened with my parents and the, mm. the year or so afterwards when things were very raw and a lot of people, you know, you're sharing 
what happened with friends and I felt guilty at the time for for feeling good when I shared that story mm. because I was still kind of I felt guilty for some reason even though mm. I didn't feel bad about being gay and I knew that their reaction was their reaction there's still a part of you that feels guilty and probably still some shame mm. um and but I felt when I was sharing that story I felt so good and almost felt like revenge on my parents to be sharing that story and receiving that empathy and having people say oh god they're dicks you know mm. or, or whatever their reaction was um and so I think that just probably set me off on a path and now I don't feel guilty about um, yeah. The good thing about publishing book, a book about it and getting feedback, amazing feedback from people who message me um, saying how much they identified with it and loved it and what it means to them. Yeah. It's really, um, no, no, you're never going to be able to shut me up, I'm, I'm afraid. Yes. Oh, that's so good. I'm so <laughs> pleased. But, gee, it's a layered, um, there's layers and layers of mm. of all sorts of complex feelings, aren't there? Yes. Yeah. But um, I just, I think I said this earlier, um, that I just, so wish I'd had a, a book like this in my younger days. Me too. To read. Yeah, <laughs> yes. And so you're sort of writing it for yourself in a way, yeah. aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. And um, look, we've come to the end of our session. Unfortunately, I could keep talking. Yeah. They'll carry us out. as the, <laughs> the, So turning off the lights now. So look, Lil, thank you so much for being here today and talking about your memoir. I love that. Thank you. It's been wonderful. And um, to our listeners, happy reading. I hope you enjoy the book. Um, Kia kaha, haere rā, kakite anō. This program was brought to you by Auckland Libraries. Find us online at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and catch the program next Sunday at 9.35pm on 104.6 FM or anytime online at planetaudio.org.nz slash books and beyond. Every day, every day, every day, every day, every day, every day.